I'm Nicholas Reese. I'm an artist. I work out of 44 Gaukel, downtown Kitchener. You're listening to the 44 Gaukel Tenant Profile Series in collaboration with Midtown Radio, taking a deeper look into the creatives that make up this shared workspace. Why did you choose to rent a space at 44 Gockel for your work? Oh, it's a complicated story. It really came about due to a public art commission I had from the city of Waterloo for a sculpture in Mary Ellen Park in Waterloo. I was well over two years ago and I needed a bigger space obviously couldn't do it at home so I negotiated a short-term lease with the city here and I moved in March the 1st 2020 which should make you wonder oh that wasn't a great time to move in and sure enough within two weeks I had to move out because of the pandemic and this whole building was turned into a facility for making face shields. So they needed the space. So it was two weeks to get settled in, then move out, and didn't know what was going to happen then. And then sometime around the middle middle of June, they phoned back and said, oh, do you want to move in? Because by that time, the face shield people had found a proper factory. So then I moved back. Uh, did finish the sculpture, but it still hasn't gone out. So at that point, I was just nice to have a space where I could hide during the, the worst of the pandemic so I could come down here and do all my own work, which is at the moment a series of little ships and boats and airplanes. And how do you find having an office space in downtown Kitchener? Um, Does that impact your work or the feel of, you know, going to work? You're right sort of in the core of the downtown. How does that feel? Yeah, it it has, I'd say it's a subtle impact. Um, As I just mentioned, the prime thing was it was a, a place to hide from all the inconvenience, shall we say, of the pandemic. But yes, when you're in a downtown, especially this one, which is in the midst of some huge transformation, I usually go out for a walk at lunch, have a lunch in the park. And then the other thing that I noticed is that years ago, I lived on David Street in Victoria Park for about nine years. And at that time, I was working with the city on two projects. I was the first artist in residence for the city in 1995. And then the following year, I started a big project that um, was managed by the city. It was a project on industrial heritage because during the 90s, that was when we had this major collapse of manufacturing. Uh, it was free trade. But what it really was all about was the um, encroachment of high-tech 
And I'm not saying that in a negative way. You know, it's obviously been a boon, but it literally blew the old manufacturing aspect of Kitchener right out of the water. So I was there for that, and I recorded the industrial demolitions uh, with camera and sketchbook, and then started retrieving bits and pieces of the machinery. And those we refurbished, and we mounted them in various parts in the city, especially the downtown, along the Iron Horse Trail, at City Hall, couple of parks. One of the um, things that astonished me when I was doing the uh, industrial artifacts project was how much we were losing, uh, losing in terms of skills, the skills that I'm wearing a pair of Kaufman work boots that were made in the Kaufman footwear plant on King Street. Um, When the Kaufman plant closed in 2000, uh, Tom Kaufman, who was the president, uh, offered me the contents of their museum. And believe it or not, all the men's footwear was size 9, which is my size. So most of it I gave to Dune Heritage Museum, gave some to the city of Kitchener. Tom took quite a bit, and then the rest I kept. So I may never have to buy work boots again. And they're Um, They're wonderfully made. The quality is so much better than what you buy now. The soles actually last. So there was a huge amount of skill in making a a work boot or a rubber boot. So it was a big project. It went on for about 13 years. And then after that, 2009, 2010, I I moved to Waterloo and really didn't come down here much. So to come down again in 2020 and see all the changes was quite a revelation. Um, Plus I got to reconnect with all the old bits and pieces of machinery. So yes, to answer the question in a nutshell, it's had a big effect and a fairly subtle one. Um, So you have been in Kitchener for uh, quite some time, being an artist in residence in 1995. What what brought you to Kitchener? Um, Did you grow up here or did you come here as an adult? No, I um, I came from a very long way. Uh, We came here when I was 12 uh, from originally from South Africa. But before we came here, we lived in Ohio for four years in a little college town, which the college my father was teaching at was completely destitute, but they had the most beautiful campus, 400 acres of everything a kid could want. And it was a great playground, and I think it also enabled me to be an artist because at that age, eight to 12, boys especially need to be out exploring, climbing trees, and doing whatever, and that campus had it, and the local school was quite good. It was run by Miami University, which was a big state university, so it was their faculty of education. So as public schools went, it was pretty good. Uh, It wasn't the case when we came here, but it was a big, big change, climate, education system, uh, culture. 
although part of the reason we came was, of course, the universities. My father got two jobs, teaching history at Waterloo and being also the first principal of Renison College. So we were very connected, or I was very connected with the University of Waterloo. I ended up working there on and off for almost 40 years. But it was also a chance to see how a community changes uh, with the information age. So we came in at the cusp of that and then got caught up in all of it. And now, I don't know where we are now. I think what we're really facing now is some kind of balancing that is absolutely essential. And by balancing, I'm saying that as amazing, as impressive as the high-tech digital revolution has been, it's extremely unbalanced. The nature of technology, any kind of technology, is to take over. Um, But high-tech especially has done that. And it's literally running away with us now. And that's not a good thing. The only thing that I can see that will balance it is culture, Uh, arts, visual arts certainly, but music, film, literature, poetry, dance. And those are things that are in short supply. I mean, it was something we noticed when we first came here. It wasn't a whole lot of culture, especially art. Uh, The KW Art Gallery existed in an old bicycle shed next to KCI. Um, Certainly we've come a long way, but then so is the city, and we still don't have enough of it. And as much as I'm intrigued by what places like Communitech, Google, U of W especially can do, I'm also a little apprehensive And yeah, I do appreciate that there's a huge amount of skill involved in digital, but it's a different skill. I'm showing my age here, but I do appreciate what we had, and I don't think what we've supplanted it with is quite, certainly not the same, but there's something missing, and it's that Essentially, it comes down to that human element. We're sensitive. I think we all have a soul, or most of us do. And there's something very soulless about digital technology. And that's what I'm concerned about. But it's also what I'm approaching with my own work personally. So your work is incredibly tactile. It's a, you know, a great way to kind of reconnect with, yeah, those tactile, physical touch um, pieces. Um, do you find that you have a certain medium that you uh, like to work with or you feel drawn to? I know you did a lot of work with metal pieces and the sort of industrial uh, materials. And now you're working with uh, woodworking primarily. Um, is there something that you feel drawn to when you're feeling inspired about a piece or, or a material that you feel really connected with when you work with it? Yes, uh, I'll go back to what you first said about tactile 
or tactility, if that's a word. Yes, the sculptures are tactile. Um, for a long time, I was a printmaker, and the prints also had a very strong tactile sense. So I've always been drawn to that. Um, this recent work is actually the little ships, for the most part, are very small. They're now airplanes as well. So they're intended to be held and manipulated and perhaps meditated upon, I don't know. Um, the Artifacts Project, they were, as you said, they were metal, usually cast steel. And so they had a certain coldness to them, but surprisingly, some of the older pieces of machinery had uh, an elegance to them, which surprised me. If you were to go up to the second floor of the rotunda at Kitchener City Hall, you'll see a, a very old 19th century steam engine that was donated by Seagram's when they closed their museum in Waterloo. It's quite elegant. It was made about 1875. And then next to it is what's called a hydro governor from the Adam Beck plant in Queenston, Niagara Falls. And it's an amazing device. It's a speed control device that controlled the speed of the turbines in the, not the Niagara River, but the, um, the canal off or the offflow from it. And it's again, it's very elegant. It looks like some vintage science fiction movie prop. It's got Castile and amazing amount of brass. But there's an artistry to them, and I think that really appealed to me during that project. But again, in a strange way, they are tactile, and uh, even though they're large. So yes, uh, and I'm now going back to what I was just saying about the digital age. It really isn't tactile. It's visual, but I really don't see anything tactile about a laptop or a, a smartphone other than you hold it. Uh, all too often now in our working environment and even in our home environment, we're stuck in front of a small screen. So it certainly doesn't do very any good for your eyesight. But that ability to touch things, you know, I was talking earlier about touching people, connecting with them. We also need to touch things. Uh, our environment, uh, the natural world, um, the built world architecture, uh, medieval architecture was so tactile, but even 18th century architecture was tactile. And then boom, when you get to the 20th century, <laughs> it's, it's no longer tactile, it's functional. Uh, think of high schools, public schools, high schools, universities. Uh, the architecture of the 60s and 70s was utterly abysmal. That's a personal opinion, but I have to say that. Uh, there's very little to stimulate us in our architecture or our built environment, whereas at one time, a cathedral would be not just a revelation, but a completely uplifting experience. Uh, but so would the... Um, so would the architecture of the 18th, early 19th century. So all of that gets filtered through me when I'm making a, a sculpture. And I'm not honestly sure where these images come from. Uh, one of the things I felt when I was 
refurbishing or hunting the machinery was that something else was working through me, and it's very much the case now with these sculptures. It's something much bigger than me. Uh, it just finds me a useful outlet, if you like, and that's fine because, you know, if someone has to do the, the digging or whatever and the manufacturing. But um, beyond that, there is so much more to it, and it's, again, something that, sadly, we're just not aware of in our day-to-day life, that there's some much greater richness and depth to life than we've been allowed to perceive, and that's part of the price we're paying for a, what I could call a culture of convenience, uh, appliances, things like that. Um, to go back a little bit um, about teaching, you were talking about the different architecture of the schools and, and universities. Um, I know that you've done some teaching, both in the, the, the boards here and at the university as well. What drew you in to want to do teaching, um, you know, sharing your craft with others? What was sort of the, the pull to, to do some teaching of your, your profession? Well, it seems to have been a family tradition on my, on my father's side especially. He started teaching high school in Wales before, just before the war. And then, you know, after the war, he certainly didn't want to go back to teaching high school. And my mother certainly didn't want to live in Cardiff. So he was offered a university teaching position in South Africa. So they jumped at it. Uh, the problem was two years after they arrived, uh, apartheid became an official policy. So the country became unlivable, which is why we left. But uh, teaching, you know, when you're growing up in an academic environment, I think you're maybe more aware of it. And then I mentioned earlier the school I went to in Ohio. Miami University used it as a training school for their faculty of education. So we had good teachers, but we also had student teachers. And they were much more relaxed than the system here, uh, more informal and more open to things. And I suppose at some point, there was a practical aspect. Um, you know, I was living on a shoestring, so trying to get the rent often involved doing, a, say, a printmaking workshop or a sculpture workshop, and they were fun, but it was also an introduction to teaching at a, a different type of teaching to what you would do in a, a schoolroom where you've got, what, 25, 30 kids, and if you're a high school teacher, they're rotating. Whereas with these workshops, I would be working with maybe five or six people. And the big thing was that I didn't have to grade them. So they, weren't, they were also there because they wanted to be there, which usually isn't the case with formal education. Um, I was a very reluctant student all the way through. <laughs> I just couldn't get excited about formal education. So that did influence the way I taught. And then lo and behold, um, as you mentioned, I ended up teaching for a while at Wilfrid Laurier back when they had a fine art program. And it was wonderful because uh, even though the writing was on the wall, 
they um, the kids were great. I really enjoyed the students, and the only drawback was I did have to grade them, but that was okay. And they had a very good little space, so it lasted for about five years. And then Laurier decided they didn't need a fine art program, which told me a lot. Um, so they killed it. And uh, <clears throat> since then, uh, I've done a few private workshops. And then for a few years, I taught uh, drawing at uh, State of the Art, a small art supply shop in Waterloo. And that was really fun because, again, it was five or six people uh, who wanted to learn how to draw. But it forced me to create a very informal curriculum around drawing, which is something that's always been important. I mean, most of us drew or painted when we were three-year-olds, and most kids stop when they're six or seven. But I just kept going. So I've always drawn, and that, I think, has had a huge influence on this ability to look at things and feel things. So we're back to tactile again here. Drawing, by the way, I should add, drawing is very, very tactile. So um, now you're you're working on your uh, wooden boat sculpture project. Uh, is that sort of the, the main project that you have on the go? Are you still doing any teaching or anything else coming up? Um, certainly no teaching because the pandemic just meant you no one could teach or hardly anyone. Although I wouldn't mind doing, you know, a few workshops. Um, I think the other thing that I've been on the edge of for too long is doing some writing. Uh, I did write a book about my experience with the Artifacts Project. It was called A Memory of Ruins, and it was really dealing with the industrial demolitions in Kitchener-Waterloo and my reaction to them. But I've always wanted to write and in the back of my mind, I do have another book on this whole paradigm shift from industrial Kitchener-Waterloo to digital Kitchener-Waterloo. And it links into an absolutely marvelous photograph taken on in Victoria Park probably about 1909-1910. And it's a view, it's a panoramic view across the lake. So you get uh, the skyline of Berlin, which is Kitchener prior to 1916, with all its church towers interspersed, I should say, with factory towers. So that alone is a remarkable image. You have a classical Church Towers, St. John's Anglican, where we used to go, had what was called, has what was called a Rhenish helm, quite unusual. And then the big spire of St. Mary's, not very far from St. John's, and these other church towers. And then the, um, the smoke towers, too. So in terms of an image, it's quite remarkable. And then the park itself, which was not even 20 years old at that time. The statue of Queen Victoria still hadn't arrived. So, and then there are people. It's a summer day, and they're dressed in Edwardian dress. It's a very tranquil shot, and Berlin actually looks very tidy, industrious, because of these folk, uh, smokestacks. But what I contrasted it with 
was one of the greatest paintings in the Western canon of art. And that's a painting by Johannes Vermeer called The View of Delft. And it's a gorgeous painting. It's not very large, but somehow those two paintings resonate. And it's, uh, there's a similarity to them. And I know it sounds silly to s compare this absolutely staggeringly beautiful painting with a photo, we don't even know who the photographer was, of a small industrial city in Ontario, but it's there. And it, they both tell us so much. So with those two photo, those two images, the painting, the view of Delft, the photograph, what I call the view of Berlin, there's an interesting contrast, but there's also some very interesting interplay between art and technology. So I'm not sure where those two images will go. I would like to think that I might be able to write something down about them, but you don't know. Uh, my problem is that I'm heavily slanted towards the visual side of things. So although I like writing, uh, it's not quite as easy as, you know, if you're a visual person, you're not likely to be uh, a verbal or a linguistic person. You've been listening to the 44 Gockel Tenant Profile Series in collaboration with Midtown Radio. 44 Gockel Creative Workspace is a settler facility built on the traditional territory of the Attawandarong, Anishinaabek, and Haudenosaunee peoples. 44 Gockel is located in what is now Kitchener, Ontario, which is situated on the Haldeman Tract, land promised to six nations, and includes six miles on each side of the Grand River from the source of its mouth. To learn more about the 44 Gockel Creative Workspace, visit 44gockelarts.com. <laughs>